This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com slash ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com slash ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal, but I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. You are listening to the iFanboy Pick of the Week podcast, episode 379, brought to you by Valiant Comics Harbinger Wars and iFanboy listeners just like you. Better men have hit their knees and bigger men have died. I'm a You 
Howdy there. Welcome to that Fanboy Pick 3 podcast, episode 379. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and I am being joined today by Josh Flanagan. What's up? And Paul Montgomery. What's up? I know I said last week I wasn't going to be on the show, but I messed the date, date stuff. It's going to be next week. I'm not going to be gone again. It does this case every week. It quixotic a- journey through, through the country. <laughs> it creates this false sense of anticipation on our parts. It makes the shows better. <laughs> <laughs> we are fanboy.com we like comics we read comics we read a bunch of comics one of us reads all their comics on Wednesday makes, picks the best one writes it by the website talks about it in the podcast along with other books of the week and other topics of interest and uh, we like to talk about books so this is a, this is a review show it's a, here's your reminder and a warning this is, is going to talk about spoilers so uh, pause the show and come back if you haven't I don't know why we say pause to stop because it's not like they're going to pause there you're gonna keep it. They're gonna keep it warm. Phone up. or whatever, so it drains the battery. Whatever they're listening. I like to. the idea that there's a guy every week and he forgets that there's gonna be oh! spoilers. And he's like, oh, right. I, I believe that we are falsely continuing the pause versus stop thing from the analog days. I don't think there's any difference anymore. They just give us two buttons because it makes us feel more comfortable. Well, that seems back. to be different. Depends on the device. If you hit stop, it starts over at the beginning again. Should, pause. Should remember your position. Not every device. All right. This is hugely uninteresting. It's, I disagree. <laughs> I, I can tell you for sure my, my Blu-ray player doesn't do that. If I hit stop, it starts over at the beginning. Because that's physical media. Well, You know, listen, to, we're, not, we're not sending these things out on discs, which, which by the way, would be a pain I am. in the ass. Oh, you are? Yeah. That's great. Anyway, no one told so let's me to talk stop. about the change from circles to triangles. This Paul is had the pick of the week. I did. I chose East of West, number one, uh, by uh, Jonathan Hickman and Nick Dragata. Um, because I've been, been playing the hugely enjoyable Bioshock Infinite this week, and I decided to choose the comic that was the most like it. And this one happens to have a, uh, a prophet from, uh, the Civil War era, and, um, he changes the world. He changes the future. This is a very strange book. I cannot promise that I understand it entirely. That's good. But what I do... I, I can't imagine you... I can't imagine you do. I mean, I have much respect for you, but I don't think anyone does. If you were to come uh, on here and be like, no, so here's what it was, this, I, would, yeah. I would be like, tell me. There's a lot of equivocating in the, in the Pick of the Week review that I wrote on the site where I don't make any declarative statements, really, except that I like it a lot. Um, what's, what's interesting about this book is, you know, there are many, many comics that do the end of days thing, that do the Armageddon thing. Um, but what I like about this is that the world that Hickman is obliterating with his four horsemen um, is very unusual. And although I mentioned the, the the Bioshock Infinite thing, this is this is so different than anything else on the shelves. And what I what I also realized um, when I knew we were going to be talking about this on the show was that now all three of us on the show are fans of the Western. Mm-hmm. That's so, true. Um, and that was actually, that was a hard sell for some of the people in my shop. I was telling people, you really should check this out. This is going to be good. It's going to be good stuff. And, uh, they're like, I don't like Westerns. I was like, but this also has mechanized cricket things that people ride around like horses. And it's got, you just uh, sit at the shop telling people to buy like next to things you like. I, I set up a little couch on the curb outside the comic shop, and I, I do my <laughs> little Jay and Silent Bob kind of Hold thing. Hold on a second. Why, why are we learning this now? We could have definitely turned that into a show. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of potential Paul's couch. Paul's comic couch. The other thing I really like about this is that it's a it's the it's the really good um, ratio of um, 
of Hickman's like clinical detachment and his his sort of like cold prose um, to uh, lately he's been finding artists that are able to counter that with something a bit more visceral. This is this is the most mainstream looking book that he's ever produced as a as a creator owned book for a creator owned yeah. And I was just looking at it, and and uh, I think Dragota, actually, this is Dragota almost looking more mainstream than he normally does, which on like a Marvel book, which is really interesting. But also that they they brought in Frank Martin to do colors. Uh, yeah. So in in that way, it uh, I, I don't mean to belie your point, but like that was the thing that I noticed in the art right away. This this actually kind of looks like a Marvel book. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so we and so we do get the thing like like old school Hickman like he would do in his very prose heavy comics where you would get a bit of a history lesson in the beginning, and um, it that was almost like you know stumbling into a brick wall for me when I first started reading it. But then it was like, well, this is actually really interesting world building yeah. stuff, and I was I was fascinated by this. This whole idea is that there was this guy in in the Civil War, a Confederate soldier, and he sort of uh, experiences this enlightenment and he's going to write a new gospel and, and the message and he becomes this prophet, uh, Prophet Longstreet. And then there's also um, a Native American um, chief who sort of um, unifies, the yeah, unifies all the tribes together so that they're this, this unified force. And then uh, the exiled chairman Mao writes the uh, other third of this new gospel and it creates this new world that persists even into the future in 2064 um, where you have this sort of like sci-fi look to it. And it's a little like the brave star cartoon. Um, I don't know how big a touchstone that is, but that was a big deal for me, robot horses and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But there's, there's more going on to it. There's like the, if you look at the map in the back of the book, there is an actual union territory. There is a confederacy and they look much the same as they did during the Civil War. But then also like the Dakotas and all up there, that's um, that's the Endless Nation, which is the all of the uh, Native American tribes together uh, in this unified force. And some of these sections, we haven't even met those groups yet. But then there's also like this Chinese Republic and a lot of different things going on and this very interesting world. And um, and. Uh, and it's all going to hell because the the three horsemen, at least, um, are chasing down their fourth. And this is the spoiler that the the uh, the main character in this, I guess, uh, is Death. And uh, he's a really interesting character. He's sort of like Boba Fett in the beginning, and then he just explodes. And I love the reveal of him as Death. And it's not like he picks up a scythe and he's like the Grim Reaper or anything like that. It's just that he he stops being that that cool, calculated um, desperado and becomes like this really angry dude who just killed the president. He it reminds me kind of of Pale Rider, the very underrated Clint Eastwood Western, which, oh, which yeah. he probably plays death. They've, I mean, it's, there's enough hints about it, but, you know, there's a cowboy who people have thought they've killed before, but he's back and you know, to wreak vengeance on people. And it's and, sort of uh, like a spiritual remake of Shane too. But yeah, but yeah he's very much like the spirit on the, of death. That, that page that you're talking about, that very last panel, that is the Saint of Killers. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he even has the look, if you look around the bottom of his mouth, like he's got that classic Steve Dillon scowl. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting things going on in this book. I did like the alternate history world building. I think one of the things that Image has been doing really well lately with their books is that they're creating very interesting worlds 
that are very that are that are a little familiar but a little unusual and, and they're very exciting. Um, and also, there's a lot of you know this is this isn't like sci-fi. There's a lot of sci-fi elements to it, but there's a lot of cool sci-fi-ish books coming out from Image too, which is interesting. Mm. What I like about it, I've been reading a lot of humanoids books lately. You know, stuff like like the Meta Barons and the Inkle, like the Jaradowski stuff. And I, if you would have told me that this was like, you know, a, you know, originally like you know French or Spanish or something, and and was being put out. Um, by humanoids, I, w- I would believe you. Um, so I don't know if that was part of both of their influence, you know, in terms of visuals and in tone, but um, it's just, it, do- it it doesn't feel like a lot of stuff being put out, you know, uh, in, you know, uh, America. So Josh, you're not, a, you're not a huge Hickman fan. Um, what I did you think of this? I just don't always connect with them. I, I find this one really interesting in that I'm not going to tell you I loved it, because I'm not sure. I didn't love it was. either. I gave it. I gave it a strong four. Yeah, uh, it wouldn't have been it, my pick. But one of the things about it wasn't good. One of the things about it was that it was there were a lot of elements that were very familiar to me of stuff that's go, actually going on in comics right now. Like it was when you and I know this is this is this isn't going to matter someday, but right now, like that big map at the end of all the different parts that, that look exactly like what had been going on in Ultimate Avengers, which was a storyline that Hickman had set up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you know, that struck me, and then sort of the four horsemen is the thing that's been going on in, in Uncanny Avengers, and uh, like just not that those things were the same, but they were just reminiscent of elements that I've seen recently in comics, um, and you know, like like that sort of you sort of like the Santa Killers, but was, there's also a Western vibe. I, I liked that. I liked that I didn't know what it was or what it was going to be, and I don't even know what it's about. Uh, but I feel like it's definitely leaning more towards. I want to say commercialism, although I don't mean that with a negative connotation. Than some of the earlier, some of the other stuff that 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 Hickman's done, which is really definitely learned from his Marvel time. I, I mean, I, there's a definite, like I said, the look of it is is this is the most mainstream sort of book. This is sort of the layouts, the panels, the way it's presented, it just looks like what we think of as a mainstream comic book, and it reads that way. Uh, but he's still not spoon feeding you. There's a lot of you, you've got to pay attention. Uh, and again, he he made the he. There's very few circles. He's gone with triangles here, so that's a bold. <laughs> Old move. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I agree that there are, uh, you know, a couple of elements that we've seen, uh, you know, a lot recently, like the, uh, the uncanny X Force uh, horseman stuff. And I mean, Marvel's been playing around with the four horsemen idea for yeah. decades and decades. And so, um, but what I liked here was that it's that that it's it's really chilling. And, uh, you know, aside from the fact that I've seen some of these tropes before, I think they were handled very, very well. And I like that it's that it's a Western. Yeah. Um, it feels more like a Western revenge story than it does a science fiction story. It just has those those uh, touchstones to it, like the the big sci fi spires and the, the weird looking cricket mount thing and, you know, some of the guns and stuff. But uh, I. I, I just I like that I have no idea what to expect from issue two, and um, that's kind of a big thing for me. I I I love number one issues um, because I love the promise of them. Now sure. they don't always deliver afterwards, but um, there's something that I, I always I, maybe it's a, maybe it's a flaw in me, but I always get really excited about and hopeful about number one issues. And this it's not is you. It's a, it's a it's a it's a very big part of the current comic book industry is the the hope of the number one issue in just many different ways. I mean if you every time Connor does, you know, the pick of the weeks by the numbers, it's there's a lot of number ones because it's like well, this, this is exciting. You you yeah. hope it's gonna be good and you're you know, if it's if it's fun then it, there's something like a new story. That's what I think the point of the excitement is. Yeah. 
but I, I'm excited to see where this goes. Um, I think you know there's a very high batting average in Image right now in terms of some some of their bigger books. But we'll see if it starts to make more sense. I don't. I, don't, I wasn't confused so much by it. I just I'm very curious to see where it goes. Yeah, no, I don't think I was confused. I think that they they've left a lot out. You know, he he basically, I think he leaves a lot of spaces in between that that either he'll fill in later or you're meant to fill in. And I, I don't. That's just a stylistic choice, not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Well, Guardians of the Galaxy number one is another new number one book, which we're going to talk about three of them in a row. Um, <laughs> I didn't read uh, the Advent Landings. I read some of the Nova stuff. I never read the Guardians of the Galaxy stories, so I don't have any you don't, any comparison to this. You don't have to. They no, just, no, I'm, I'm oh, not no. saying it's a problem. Yeah. I just don't no, have anything to compare it to. I'm, I'm, a sort of, I'm, more, I'm telling this to people who are listening who didn't either. Mm-hmm. You don't need to. They make very brief mention of it in here. Uh, Which I felt was kind of odd. I was actually surprised they did that because it, it seems like Bendis is trying to do you know a fresh start on this. And even though this is the number one issue, there was the – what was it? A 0.5? Yeah, 0.1. 0.1. 0.1. I don't remember. It was a weird integer. Um, came before this. And that was the one we compared to uh, Starman. Um, not the DC property, but the, uh, the movie. Uh, and, uh, that's, that's brought up here. You don't have to have read that because he rehashes it in the very beginning of this issue. Um, I, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't know if, if, um, if Bendis is, is completely well suited to a space opera. Um, I, I don't know if, if it feels comfortable to me, but, um, now you read the, the previous incarnation of this. I did. And I liked it a lot. Um, I liked it a whole lot. Connor, the, what did you, I mean, of, you didn't, so issue? what's your take? Uh, it was fine. That's kind yeah. of how I felt. I, you yeah. know, I'm not, I don't, I didn't dislike it. I don't have any real desire to find out what happens next either. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're right. I think, you know, Bennett is a very grounded storyteller. He, he likes to, to you know, put his characters in real situations and and i don't know that space opera is is his forte um yeah just, I, I, I mean i didn't think bad about it i just don't know that you know just knowing him as a writer i just i didn't find anything compelling i didn't find the characters overly compelling i didn't find the situation overly compelling i, I gotta yeah. say if you are shoehorning iron man in there for no good reason and that's you know didn't and, really make and he, and he looks awful yeah, he looks awful. Uh, uh, there's also and also Star Lord himself has a a costume redesign, and they all it's, do. Yeah, but I mean, Star Lord most of all is a, just a really interesting, and it doesn't look like any other Marvel character. Yeah, um, especially in the the DNA incarnation. Um, I think Jim compared him to a motocross racer, which I think is completely <laughs> apt. It's a ridiculous looking costume, and it looks and his helmet has this built-in thing that looks like he has a breathe right nasal strip. <laughs> on the bridge of his nose and it's just it's it's garish and like bright yellow and blue and just i, I do not like it it's um, actually they're really hiding the fa- it's funny because this is basically this looks like a a a, a movie it does uh, like movie costume designs which is obviously what they are you know trying to read into comic books and you've taken away all the things that made them really interesting to look at before like smoothed right. out all the edges to make them look like what they would look like on screen, I guess. And it's more, in story wise, it's more accessible um, than when DNA were doing. They had like you know prayer powered yeah. starships and the cancer verse and things like that. So that's why it was weird when um, Star Lord's dad mentions the cancer verse thing, and I was like, I didn't think we were gonna try to you know make these match up. I thought we were just doing a clean start. They cannot help themselves. They're not able to not. Right, you know everything has to have nothing can be swept away under the rug. Everything has to happen. Yeah, so uh, I like yeah. the McNiven art. Um, aside from the, I mean, aside from those costume designs, I like the art in it. Um, 
the things that I like about it, otherwise in terms of story and themes, are things that I already liked about the property itself of Guardians of the Galaxy and not necessarily what Bendis has brought to it. So Now of the nine stories in Time Warp, which was the Vertigo anthology, I guess all dealing with uh, time travel stories, how many did you guys read? Half? There's, I've, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if I could count. I read about half, which had to do half with time and half. I started reading a couple and I was like, I'm not interested in this. Wait, how like, many did, did I read of mm-hmm. I, all of them? Uh, I read two. You had the pick of the week. Oh, yeah, okay. Just read the first right. two? Yeah, I read the first two. Um, I, you, I think you missed some, some other good ones in there. Um, I'm not saying I'm not going to read them. I just read two. Okay. This, was, this was very close to being pick of the week, I should say. Yeah, we're, talking about, we're talking about Time Warp, number one, the time travel anthology from Vertigo. I like, I like these a lot, these series of anthologies. They've all been surprisingly good. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, I, I read that Rip Hunter story, the very first one, drawn by Jeff Lemire, <laughs> and I just thought, Connor's going to love this. I did love it. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> I mean, it, was, it was goofy, and it was kind of mind-bendy, and I, you know, I liked that it was, it was very manic. You notice that oh. I just mentioned it was drawn by Jeff Lemire. I did not mention it was written by Damon Lindelof. <laughs> by the way, it takes place on the fucking Lost Island. Uh, so that's the Rip Hunter's <laughs> running from a dinosaur, and he keeps running into other versions of himself who showed up to help him to make sure he lives. And uh, that has a very poignant ending. It's a little old. bit. It's a little bit Looney Tunes. I, I like. It kind is of very like manic. That. It's very yeah. like he keeps turning forward, and there's another version of himself ready to help him. And uh, I liked it. It was, it was, you know, it was a sweet story. I thought, old, I thought Lemire drew, drew it really well, too, since it's so strange. I like that every once in a while we get like five or six pages from him. Yeah. yeah. Clearly he wants to draw, but he doesn't get tons of time to, to do it. Um, I can tell you that all of these are kind of heartbreaking, harrowing stories. Um, there, I <laughs> mean, we... there's, some, there's some goofy stuff along the way, but they all have like sort of like a, a dark um, Twilight Zone kind of ending. Yeah. Um, I imagine you read the second one, too. Well, that, I mean, that's the one that I told. I I don't know if you'd read it before I talked to you or not, Connor, but I told Connor. No, I'd, I'd read it already. Okay, yeah. yeah. I was like, you need to read this before we talk about it because a uh, second story called It's Full of Demons, uh, written by Tom King um, and, and drawn by Tom Fowler. Uh, I didn't know what it was, and I was very confused, and I kept flipping back in the in the middle until I got to the very end, and then yeah. I read through it again. Like, yeah. And, and that that is that is not to say – that it was badly done. It isn't. It was actually just so well done that I was like, It was fantastic. It was really so good. fucking good. It I mean I, I have to we have to spoil it for if, if you haven't yeah. read it. Spoiling it does sort of ruin the ending because these are all as Paul said, these are Twilight Zone esque stories. But it, you don't understand why it's good until you know why, why how it ends. It basically it opens with a uh, in, in, is it in the nineteen in nineteen oh one a little boy and his sister playing cowboys and Indians in the woods in a Man appears from a portal in a, in a suit, shoots the kid in the head, gets back in the portal, portal and leaves. And then we find that the kid was Hitler. And it's basically the story, you know, the, the time on would you go back and kill Hitler as a child before he could ruin the world. And we see how the world changed and how history unfolds differently without Hitler. But we don't find out what exactly it was or why things are different. It's a very second to last panel in the whole story. Yeah. Uh, it was the, great. The, there's, there's this one bit, and it, it got me really bad. It's it's uh, 1944, and she's talking. The woman is talking to a man at a desk, and he's in what is clearly you know a German military uh, outfit, and he stands up, and he's got he's got a yarmulke on, mm-hmm. 
I was like, what the hell is going on? And yeah, I and he looks out the window and there's a dirigible going by. And it was yeah, also the, the, his recognition for the, the, their victory in the Battle of Stalingrad, the Germans, which they were destroyed by the Russians in yeah. the battle. Uh, so everything is sort of different. Um, yeah, I mean, you kind of have to know your history to pick up on those clues. And, and then the thing is, because I, I know the history, but not incredibly well. So I thought, well, what, am I forgetting what happened? Is this, am I, do I have it right? And, and then you realize that what they've set up is this all whole alternate world. But we don't know it because we're going through the point of view of this one character. This was just masterful. It's a great short story. It was, it was like the yellow wallpaper meets like Doctor Who. That kind. It's like that kind of a story. Um, would you believe it's it's only one of two Hitler stories in this collection? Hmm. Yeah, um, I just turned the page and I found a little tiny Hitler story in the middle. There. Oh, is the, the the cutesy one. Yeah. That isn't actually Hitler. Yeah. He looks exactly looks, like Hitler. Yes, he does. But he does not. look like it. But that's the Gail Simone story. Yeah, that's not. I thought that too. But it's not Hitler. At least he goes by a different name. Um, the not actual, the, the real Hitler story is the very last one, which is the um, the Dan Abnett and um, uh, Inge Colbert story, and it's about two guys who it's their they're like military officers, and it's their job to make sure that now that time travel has been like legalized. Um, they make sure that no one kills Hitler because it can mess up with time. So, like, they consider him the principal. And there's also guys in the same outfit who have to make sure that no one saves JFK. So they, like, they get it, they hear an alarm, and then they have to rush into this room, and they go back in time, and they have to keep stopping people from trying to save him. And the reason, the reason there are, like, the magic bullet and, and things like that and all these different conspiracy theories is because they keep editing time but things keep slipping through so there's all this like weird extra information that makes you know so you don't know exactly what happened brilliant it's a, it's a really cool little idea I, I, I don't want to stick on this one forever but I really didn't I didn't get the, the size barrier story <laughs> it's a, well it's about two scientists like trolling each other with um, yeah I was just I try, I read through it and I was like, I don't. Is this really what's happening? Okay, and that is. And there was no. I was waiting for a moment that was going to make me be like, Oh, I, I, I like this. I understand it. But I, without without going into the very good Peter Milligan story about a sci-fi version of haunting of of ghosts and stuff, mm-hmm. and then another great story by Matt Kent. Oh yeah, about uh, war and uh, like escalation of uh, what like warriors technology they employ in war and it's all leading up to surrender that war is without people killing each other but they're yeah. addicted to warfare so anyways really great collection super super fun uh anthology yeah. Yeah. i mean like they keep choosing you know great themes and it's a good time my pick was probably uncanny avengers number five okay which I think it's really good was probably the best issue of the series, which I've, I've already loved as it is. It could have been the first issue. Yeah. Although clearly the Red Skull stuff is going to be important. Um, but this, this is a great jumping on point if you haven't before. It features Olivier Coipel on art uh, for one issue before Daniel Kuna takes over as the regular series artist next issue. Um, but this, is, this was great. This was very old school Marvel from, from the very beginning opening up with Kang, who you, you know when, when Kang shows up, you're in for a good time. Yeah. Um, to the you know the team building a little bit more, we get you know some new event, new members and Wonder Man and and Sun Sun uh, Sunfire Sunfire his name and uh, was Wasp on before Wasp was on before yeah no she wasn't on no before, she's was they're she? coming in as as PR right. for yeah. right so yeah, actually Wonder Man is not there to fight he's there to do marketing <laughs> yeah he doesn't so want to fight yeah he said he refuses to fight he's like a pacifist now or something yeah. Uh, great issue. A lot of tension between the team, which is great. I love the fact that even though Havoc is nominally the member, the leader of the team, you know, Cap can't really can't help being a leader because he's such a natural right. leader. 
and uh, you know, Havoc just kind of has to sit there and enact Cap's ideas. Yeah, or, or allow his meetings to happen. I really, um, this feels like this is this really fun combination of of modern and classic superhero mm-hmm. comic. I kind of am like, why this should be Avengers? Yeah, other than whatever's happening over there that I gave <laughs> up on. Um, yeah, it's you know. um, and he's reined in a bit on the the narration stuff, and it's mm-hmm. like it it seemed like just the right amount this time. Like I think in some of the previous issues, it's like really overblown. I you know what? I'm actually looking through it right now, and like there are a lot of words. But yeah. I didn't feel it. And that's really the thing. Like there's sometimes I'll be reading comics and you'll turn a page and you'll just see tons of words everywhere. And you're like, ugh. But I just I didn't notice it. And, and also Quipel is, is just excellent. Oh, yeah. And uh, and picks up on some really interesting plot points and stuff from Uncanny X-Force. That's all the horseman stuff. And like most of the stuff in the beginning. And talking about like the apocalypse children and stuff. And, I, you, I get, I get. I mean, you know me. I'm not a huge fanboy, but man, I, I get a Marvel Woody when Kang shows up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's great. Kang is great. I know. He's, he looks ridiculous. He's wearing green and purple. He can, he can do blue. anything. There's, there's, there's no reason why anyone should be able to beat him. There's another yeah. version of himself out there. Who's... Yeah, it's just, but he's great. Um, and the, the the speech in the middle was very controversial online this uh, yeah. this, this mm-hmm. week about Havoc's speech to the to the world when they have their press conference about how you know he's a mutant but that's not what defines him and it was a very interesting unusual take on that whole thing. Um, well, he, I mean, my, my thing is that simulate being involved with politics. My my <laughs> thing is that they you know you don't have to look at that as that's Remender's only viewpoint on it because Remender's really good at showing a lot of different viewpoints, as we saw with the Red Skull, like mm-hmm. saying some stuff that was clearly insane, but then also there's a little bit of truth to what he was saying, or um, there's it follows a lot, makes you a little bit paranoid about it. But I think it yeah. also shows that not every mutant thinks the same. Right. I mean, it, it's it's like anything else, you know. Havoc maybe is not as Milton. He says, "I'm a mutant, but I'm, I'm mostly I'm Alex," you know. Hey, nice to meet you. You know, that's I, I think that's an interesting viewpoint to have. Yeah, it is. Not, not all mutants are as hardcore. I'm sure as that Cyclops. There, there would be, you know, guys who are like, I don't want to be defined by that. Yeah, yeah. I've I've mutant friends who say that all the time. You have I've, I can say things about mutants because I have a mutant friend. <laughs> My best friend's a mutant. So the Archie report has returned to the show. Uh, if you are a longtime listener, you know that <laughs> two years ago or so, I used to talk about the Life with Archie book and do the Archie report and. Uh, Talk about the future stories. Paul and I decided to bring it back, so he and I jumped on with Life of Archie, Life with Archie, number twenty-eight, which um, tells the dual tale of one side is Ar- what if Archie had married Veronica, and one side is what if Archie had married Betty. And what's fun about this is jumping in and seeing how crazy it's gotten. Yes, because um, I dropped off very early. I think when I dropped off, Archie and Betty had just moved to Riverdale, and Ar- and Betty had gotten a job teaching at this high school, and Archie got a job doing the music program, and. On the Veronica side, he was a sort of uh, he was sort of a downtrodden middle manager at Lodge Industries, wearing really bad suits, and right. and uh, that's where I dropped off. And now here we get, and Archie is the head of a music company on the Veronica side. Veronica's running Kevin Keller's Senate Senate uh, campaign, and then on the Betty side, Betty's a workaholic who ignores Archie at night, doesn't ever have dinner with him anymore. I like on the uh, I like on the Veronica side. Um, Betty is married to Reggie, who's a mechanic, but they also have like a like a Tori and Dean style reality show, and right. they're like they're like really close to like financial ruin. 
and <laughs> and they and there's like some weird sinister stuff going on with whoever is managing the the reality show and they want to yeah and they want to they want to bring in like some extra drama and stuff and there's there's so much this is a this is crazier than like most soap operas on television like this is really dense too there's a lot going on so kevin keller's hu- husband was shot and he's and, in a, and he's in a wheelchair and that's why he's in the senatorial was. race yeah, and, but he's. A bit, I like that he's a, he's running for center in both realities. Like there's some oh, there's some things that are similar. Clearly, would would happen. Yes. Anyway. Cheryl Blossom has cancer. Like there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. Like there's a burglar in in Riverdale on the on the Betty side who's robbing, and it's clearly it's Jughead's sister's boyfriend. And I like oh, that man. that like Jughead has like the street level problems, where everyone else has like these like the, the big political campaigns and TV shows and stuff, but. It, like Jughead's problem is that he's got in in the Betty reality he's got to take care of his younger sister and her like de, her like uh, delinquent boyfriend and then uh, in the in the Veronica reality he's he's really good at making burgers and 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 working at this restaurant but he's not good with the business side and keeping track yeah. of all the paperwork and he's still wearing the uh, the crown hat. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, that, that that really is the thing that like I mean, my I grew up with my mom watching soap operas like Guiding Light and stuff, and I would like walk through the room and like come in on the middle of something and be like, "What the hell's going on?" My mom would try to explain it to me, and I'm sure it's the same when like we try to explain what's going on in a superhero comic book. But with with this, it's so great to come into like issue 28 and just see all of this stuff going on in parallel. All the it's, madness. It's so ambitious. It's. Yeah, I really, I was actually really impressed by the amount of story they got into these pages, made it accessible. I was able to follow and know where everything was. You know, I wasn't lost by anything. Even Mr. Weatherby talking to his dead wife. That was weird. That was a little weird. <laughs> talking to a ghost. And yeah, and uh, and then Moose and is the mayor and uh, with his girlfriend and they're just having relationship problems because he's so busy. Yeah. There's a lot of angst in this book. There's a lot of people too busy for their relationships, which I don't know if that's a cry for help from the writer's side or not. But uh, he's like, no one's no one's reading this. I'm gonna just stick it all in here. <laughs> Betty is really, she just does not care that she has not seen Archie in two weeks. <laughs> and so then, happy. I mean, the there's so much like pathos in this book. I mean, like you know, Cheryl Blossom is like she's dealing with the the cancer stuff, but she's also like a crusader for you know uh, cancer research, and and then. Is she maybe getting ready to date again? Like, what? There's, there's so much going on. I want Archie to have an affair. I could imagine no, that happening. Would in that this make book. the news? Yes. yes it well, would. no. Unless it was with. Jenkinson. There would be a press release, but it could be with with what's her name? Jellybean. Jellybean is uh, Jughead's sister. Yeah, little sister. Yeah. I'm just trying to find somebody for him. He's God. He's he's being neglected. Ooh, I'm just saying. I know. I see what side of this you're coming down on. <laughs> and and I and I like that you get you know you get one book and it has you know the Veronica half and the Betty half, and you have to juggle these two things. And they have this crazy like here's what's been going on at the beginning, which is really helpful and it shows you pictures of the characters. And... Is it is it like broken into two pieces or does it interlace? No, it's two pieces. You read the you read the Veronica chapter and then you read the Betty chapter. If it so interlaced, there, like you would, it would be too much because there's too much overlap. No idea. Like, yeah. Uh, you know the Senate race on both sides being run by Veronica on both sides. It's, it's sort of like Jughead is the constant. Like no matter what happens in in Archie's life, he's working at this burger shack. And the dude loves burgers. He does. And no matter what reality you're in, <laughs> dude will like burgers. And yeah, and, and I and I relate to that. Like he's this man is an artist, and he's just he doesn't like the business side. And so I I relate to the Jughead. I think there's something for everybody in this book. 
Veronica's system is evil. It's all very, very exciting. Yeah, on that side, they're like they're they've like double and triple agents working for the two different music companies. Oh, it's fantastic. No, it's the Lodge Industries, and then, then Fred Merce is the nemesis. Anyway, I I would highly recommend jumping on Life with Archie. Uh, I think Paul and I, we're not going to talk about it every month, but Paul and I are going to talk about it. I feel like you are. We might, depending on what happens. <laughs> we might do a spinoff. We're going to talk about it. We might do a spinoff podcast and just talk about Archie stuff. Well, so then why would we just... Arch fanboy. Why would we not let Josh listen to this wonderful conversation? About I'm, not, I'm not disinterested. Okay. I don't want to read it, but I want to hear you talk about it. And I feel like there are, there's a few thousand people out there who feel the same right now. I just miss Archie's really bad suits, if I recall. There's going to be a political debate in the next one. I'm excited about that. All righty. Uh, this episode of iFanboy is brought to you by Valiant Comics Harbinger Wars, which is Valiant's first family crossover beginning with Harbinger Wars number one, the four-issue miniseries co-written by Josh Dysart and Dwayne Straczynski uh, with art by Clayton Henry and Clayton Crane. It's going to be on sale April 3rd, which is next week, or, or if you're listening to this, this week. Uh, action continues later in April with the new jumping on points in Harbinger 11 and Bloodshot number 10. These are the first issues of new standalone four-issue story arcs uh, chronicling the fallout of the Valiant Universe's first full-scale superhuman conflict. Spending 12 issues total, follow the story independently in Harbinger Wars, Harbinger, or Bloodshot, or read them all to get the complete Harbinger Wars saga. Um, so we want to thank Valiant for sponsoring the show. Uh, and let's move on to talk about more books. Okay, BPRD Vampire Number One. Josh, you remember that BPRD nineteen was a nineteen forty eight series? Yeah, this is like nineteen forty eight part two. Yeah, this is this is going back a bit. I mean, that was a while ago, and so I don't. I, I mean, I vaguely remember that there was the it's uh, Moon uh, Moon and Bob doing the art on it. But, and that, that that was the real the real thing because you know I'm seeing Vampire on the front of going. Oh, can we just right. just not for a little bit? But uh, Gabriel Bob and Fabio Moon did the art on this one, which brought us back. Um, I, they did forty six, I think. Okay. And then, but but some this one character was in the last one. I I am sort of starting to lose track. But either way, uh, it was it's funny. The first half of this book is basically a bunch of silent pages. Yeah. Of of, of vampires in the woods, uh, talking to each other, and then we shoot over to, um, what's going on at at wherever Broom, whatever base he happens to be at at this point. It's it's there's a big tapestry of sort of laid out time frames. Yeah. In the BPRD world, but uh, I'm interested yeah. uh, in what's happening. This is this is you know it's a revenge story because I believe this guy was part of a group that was investigating this whole vampire thing, and there was like a big like vampire like bacchanal going on in he there. Was the, the the guy the soldier was the guy who went in with a bunch of his buddies, or was it just by himself? And he was the only one that came out. Of of wherever the vampires were in like a house on an island or something. Yeah, yeah, like and then and they were like they're all like aristocratic vampires yeah. and like it's sort of like a I don't know like it's very it was very decadent and it was a, it was a great choice for for Moon and Ba too. Um, this is very like like ethereal quality rather than being like monster vampires. They're very sort yeah. of like like ghosty like. I vampires. thought this was interesting because it was written by Moon Ba and Mignola and Arcudi had nothing to do with it. Which I think is one of the reasons that it, I think Arcudi's the one who brings that order to the BPRD. You mm-hmm. know, that sort yeah. of uh, that case file kind of thing that they that they're normally doing. Um, so this was a whole other other kind of thing. But we get a great little that, cameo from uh, see, yeah. from Young that Hellboy. Panel, yeah, the panel of of them doing Young Hellboy. That's 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 some kind of all right. Yep, uh, I like that a lot. So Wolverine, was, the X Men twenty seven. Uh, 
I really love the story, despite the fact I wasn't looking forward to dogs showing up. But I'm just going to say I don't think Ramon Perez is right for this book. I was about to say that I felt that this was the first issue that I read that sort of fulfilled the promise of Ramon Perez in this book. Arm wrestle. Um, I mean, no, I know, I know what you're saying. I feel like you you might be right, but he's not staying there forever. He's just doing an arc. No, he's just doing an arc, yeah. And I think uh, it's one of those things where, like, it, the production of of this book and making it look a certain way, I think, takes away from him a certain amount. But I could definitely see him in this more than I think I did the first one. I feel like he'd got a, a, more of a handle on on all these. It's a lot of characters to draw, so mm-hmm. um, it can kind of be hard, I think, to let that creativity shine when you're trying to learn how to draw, you know, two dozen new student characters. Yeah, he's he's a great artist, but I just I just don't think it's particularly working. The best thing that, the best thing in this was the little flashback that was done in a you know sort of a watercolor style in the last page. Yeah, exactly. uh, I just don't know that he's particularly right for this kind of story. I can see that. I can but. see that. I really enjoy it. I really like what I like the wacky sense of adventure that Jason Aaron brings to the book. Yeah. Young Avengers three. This is really good. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, it's really it's excellent. I, it makes me. It, I'll tell you what. This makes me want to go back and read. Um, is it Journey into Mystery that had all the young Loki? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What a what a really interesting character, and I, I feel bad that I missed out on it now. So. That's a that's a fun little book, and and a, but I think the breakout star of this one is uh, is Miss America Chavez. I think she's she's really interesting, and I like how the the other young Avengers like turn into total fanboys at the sight of her, and they're kind of in awe. Oh, totally. Of her. And, um, I, think, I like how just she's just a very different character than every other lead superhero in a book. She's a you know she's super powerful. She's a female. She's Latina. She's a she's a bunch of different things. There's no self doubt whatsoever. Yeah. Um. She's also she's also like a hero of the multiverse and has this really complicated backstory, but it doesn't feel like she's overladen with this kind of, with this baggage. Yeah. Like it's just you know that and that's enough. And they're not they're not any overdoing any of those things. I think those aren't being shoved down our throats, which is why I think I liked it a lot. And also previous previous um. Uh, uh, adventures with the young uh, or with the young Avengers have been like really like you know, like like they're trying for this big world spanning story and you know the children's crusade stuff and I like that this is kind of smaller and like they get eight to do pages of stuff. them sitting in a booth yeah I mean that that's that's kind of what <laughs> and I, like I didn't about notice it. that until I'm reading it now I'm like boy that is a lot of sitting at a booth talking and uh, there's there's some fanboying over uh, Game of Thrones and uh, it blows up in Loki's face but. Um, this is a cool, it's a cool little story. I like, I like that the bad guy is sort of this extra dimensional demon kind of thing. That's very like, like, like a Stepford mom. Um, it's, it's, it's a fake, uh, mom of, uh, Teddy. Right. And, Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a, it's a, they bit off just as much as they could chew and it's not over ambitious, which is, is refreshing. Yeah. It's a fun little book. Um, Superman family adventures 11 is the second to last issue. And, uh, this one got weird. I think they're just so they're just going for it because the book is ending and there's lots of things converging in this issue. Uh, Doomsday has arrived. Uh, Brainiac was always already here fighting. Zod was already here with his minions, and Superman has his hands full. Uh, so Ma Kent throws on a Superman T-shirt and either flies or jumps really far, smacks a bunch of people around, and they leave. So I don't know if Ma Kent has superpowers or she just is drawn to look like she's flying, but. I enjoyed Ma Kent smacking around Doomsday and telling him to go home, and he does because it's an old granny in a Superman t-shirt. I think the important thing is that this has Darkseid in an apron and a hairnet <laughs> uh, as a uh, as a cafeteria lady, sort of. Um, now, 
You, oh, sorry. Go ahead. You were you were very bullish on Planetoid, and this one wrapped up what I assume is the end of the story. Although there's obviously it's pretty much the end of the story. Yeah, this so, is this so is the, this the wrap up. I am. Um, I this is another thing where it's like it's it's a perfect sort of five issue story where it's it's a satisfying conclusion to me. And and it was like a year ago when we first saw this on graphically and. Um, and then it moved over to image and, uh, this is Ken Gehring doing the whole thing by himself. And so that's why it kind of took a little while to, to get to issue five, but, um, all said and done, this is going to collect really nice. And, uh, there's frogs fighting robot dinosaurs in this. And it's, uh, this is the big standoff at the end with the, the human freedom fighters against the robots of the Ono Mao. And, uh, it's a, it's a big battle with lots of great uh, fight sequences, but then it's also uh, this whole thing has been sort of a backdoor story about uh, survival and um, community and uh, coming together as a, as a group and, uh, and facing off against adversity. And uh, in, in that sense, it really succeeded. And uh, I really like the oh, it was like six, eight pages sequence of the rock when the, after the rocket blasted off and then you see what sort of happened with that. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, it's... Um, these are all great issues. I think it's been consistently a fun read, and uh, I'm excited to see whatever he does next. Who put FF number five on here? I did. I think people are sleeping on this book. Um, I feel like FF number five, which or the series, which is written by Fraction and uh, drawn by Mike Allred, combines the really interesting and unique flavor of Hawkeye with the tone of Wolverine and the X-Men. It's basically about a bunch of wacko kids at a school. Um, but the the sort of irreverence that you, that Hawkeye that Fraction brings to Hawkeye is shown here in FF, and I really am loving it. Uh, it's not as unique and interesting as Hawkeye's. I think cause a lot of that has to do with David Aja, but uh, you know, I think the pop sensibilities that Mike Allred brings really gives it a, that unique flavor in terms of art. But it's it's very unfractiony in the way the Hawkeye is, and it has that it has that just funny, unique tone to it. I just I think this is a great book. I mean, you don't even need to, you don't need to be reading Fantastic Four. I don't read Fantastic Four. I still love this. It's been great. Cool. So that is all that we have to say about the books, which apparently was plenty. And uh, now we're going to go to the, the user review section. So uh, we can give you the top five pick of the week from iFanboy.com. Um, coming in at number five uh, is Fatal, number 13, with 1.8%. Uh, number four, Time Warp, number one, which we were all, we were all happy with, uh, with 5.5%. Uh, number three, uh, Uncanny Avengers, number five, at 8.1%. Uh, number two, Batman Inc., number nine, uh, which was 31.3%. And number one, East of West, number one, Paul's Pick of the Week, also uh, the Community Pick of the Week at 40.3%. Um, so it looks like you, you called it. Vindication. Yeah, I think that's the way to go. First up, I'm going to read Mike and Zod 21's uh, review of Mark Wade's Green Hornet number one from Dynamite. Gave the story a 5 out of 5 and the art a 2 out of 5 and gave the Pick of the Week percentage was 0. Uh, and he says, so once again, Mark Wade is putting pen to paper, and this time he's writing one of the earliest examples of the proto-superhero with the pulp character Green Hornet. Picking up the reins where Matt Wagner's fantastic Green Hornet year one left off, Mark does a great job of reintroducing us to the world characters and motifs of the, of the Golden Age Brit Reed. One of the most impressive feats is his acknowledgement of the present times on this first page, then seamlessly takes us back to 1941. Although the plot of the issue moves a little too fast for my liking, I'm intrigued by what Wade has to say about this character and this time period. The biggest problem this book has is the art, which is at times passable and other times downright ugly. There are points where the storytelling is unclear and even a panel that made me stop and think to myself, is that a gun, is that, a, is that gun period accurate? <laughs> well, that's their dynamite problem. Usually the art is... Uh... They spend a lot of money on the writers and the cover artists, and then 
whatever's left over. To, to the point that the, the writer's name is in the title. <laughs> it's, it's, they want you to know Mark Wade is writing. Oh, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're paying the, the, the Wade dollars. I tried to read this and I wasn't very interested, so I stopped. Yeah, I read I read it, but I didn't. It was probably the least favorite thing that I've read from Mark Wade since Irredeemable started. Which yeah. so I, it was at I, first I, I thought it was gonna be sort of like like ruse Mark Wade, but it didn't have that that great dynamic between the characters. Like it just wasn't yeah. there. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if I'm I, gonna continue with this one. I mean, I have no interest in it. So you know, going yeah. in, I was like, yeah, see what he does. If he if he wows me, then great. But it didn't really happen. Okay, uh, let's talk about Fury Max number 10, user review by a meerkat. Uh, story of 5 out of 5, art of 4 out of 5, pick a week percentage, nope. This is business as usual for the gang of Ennis and Parlov. I've been loving every issue so far, giving them five stars across the board. And story-wise, I think this is my favorite. Ennis delves uh, Fury into drug trafficking during wartime. It's a new story I've never read about, so I'm excited. Parlov is again great in this issue, but some of the art does seem slightly less crisp as before. So when I give him four out of five, I'm comparing him to himself, not others. Uh, things that were great about this. Mm-hmm. Bullet points. Uh, Bald Hatherley. Yeah. Uh, it was fantastic. I was like, is that? Oh, my God. Because we've, we've jumped forward. We're in 1984 now. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and then uh, I don't know her name, but but Pug's wife, the one that he Shirley had. DeFabio. Shirley DeFabio <laughs> in her weird, like, housecoat outfit. Well, thing. I thought that, that plays into what I loved is that you don't normally get to see characters age. No, never. And so they've all these characters have aged from the 1940s, which they were young and vibrant and virile, to the 1980s, where they're all in middle age and... You know, they're all Older. middle-aged. And Shirley DeFabio was very attractive when she was yeah. in her 20s, and now she's in her middle age. And you can see she was once beautiful, but she's middle-aged. And, and Heather Lee has is, is lost all of his hair, and Fury looks like he's seen too many wars. And, Fury looks super gaunt, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I just, I, I love that aspect of it. I also like that the wars are getting murkier and murkier as we've gone on to the point now where basically Grenada was a police action, quote-unquote, and there's a lot of drug trafficking going on between the soldiers and uh, you know, Fury has sort of seen too much at this point. You know, war has lost its honor, I think. And he's starting to realize that. And, uh, I, I really like his, he's got a level of detachment that keeps showing up more and more as he keeps going through this because of that same thing. Do you think they're going to go into the far future where their brains in jars like the Biomar monks in Jabba's palace? No. Okay. This is this was Nicaragua. Really hope Grenada, not. By the way. Um, <laughs> no, this is the end. I mean, there's there's yeah. two more issues. Two more. Fascinating stuff. So you can go to fanwell.com slash comics where you can rate and review your books. You can make your pull list and you can uh, uh, you know, make your own pick of the week. That's how you get, in the, get the books in the top five list. That's how you get your uh, user reviews on the site on the show by writing a user review at fanwell.com slash comics. You can also go to fanwell.com slash Amazon to help the show out. You can make your purchases through Amazon via us. You just click on the little banner there. It takes you to Amazon. It doesn't change anything for, about Amazon for you. It doesn't cost you any money. It takes a little bit off of Amazon's plate, puts it on our plate. And everyone's a little bit happier. So, if you uh, want to, the best thing to do is actually take the link from that little logo on the page and put it into your shortcuts into your uh, browser. Course, and every yeah. time you go to Amazon, you can uh, go right through there and help us out. And it's really much appreciated. Buy a pinball machine. Subscribe to Vitamin Coconut Water. <laughs> or as Josh does, you can you can search for ball gags. On I did. I had to. Yeah. There was, it was it was like you might also like, and it was a breathable ball gag. And I thought, well, I really got to watch that. They have that on Amazon. That kind yeah, of defeats the purpose, Amazon. doesn't it? Of what? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a email from Derek. Derek um, in Little Rock, I gotta Arkansas. Say, we haven't gone SM very often. 
Uh, Derek, Derek in Little Rock, Arkansas says, artist styles are pretty easy for me to distinguish. Just a glance at a random page. I know from looking at pencils by a- a- Andy, Adam, or Joe Kubert, Chris Burnham or Chris Bocciolo, Ryan Otley or Ryan Stegman, etc. I'm proud to say that I can even identify the work of a handful of letterers and colorists these days. Not so when it comes to writers. Brian Vaughn, Jason Aaron, Brian Bendis, Grant Morrison, Jonathan Hickman, Mark Wade, Peter David, Jeff Johns, Robert Kirkman, Darwin Cook. I love all their work, but I can't for the life of me put into words what distinguishes one from the other stylistically. Bendis is maybe the one exception thanks to his dialogue. How do you know you're reading a book by one of those folks in particular or some of your favorite writers without checking the credits? Is it easier to identify comic artists and writers because comics are a visual medium? Am I putting too much emphasis on style to the substance? I was just going to say I look at the credits, but then he said without looking <laughs> it's at the credits. usually right on the cover. <laughs> uh, it's one of those – it's interesting because I would really love someday to do a blind test. Mm-hmm. If you were to say like here's three, three, you know, three sets of five pages from – you know, three different writers, and can you tell which one they're? And I, and I, I fancy myself as the kind of person who could, because I can. I, you know, it's funny this list that he gave us: Vaughn, Aaron, Bendis, Morrison, etc. I definitely know that there are there are ticks with these guys. There are there they do pacing differently. They do um, they do dialogue differently, and they they have a, they have a different feel to them. You know, like we were talking about Green Hornet earlier, and while it didn't. Didn't I wouldn't have picked that as Wade ever. No, but there was there was something about the way that he writes that it felt like Wade to me. Like he's got a clarity of language that I really like, and I think that those those came out really well in something like The Rocketeer. Um, Jeff jo- Johns, when I, he does stuff, it's it's it seems to be very often it's very straightforward. There's not much subtext or something like that, as opposed to Jonathan Hickman, who is the opposite of that. Whereas it's Almost all subtext, and there's very I think little. A blind writers challenge would be fascinating. It would be really fun. So the trick would be to find stuff you haven't read. Before. Yeah, it's like impossible to do. <laughs> Vaughn would be really difficult to do that with because he doesn't. Well, no, you know that's I don't not think necessarily true at all. He has a he has a snappy. Yeah, he does, and he's actually he, he actually does do pop culture references. Yeah, more than you would sort of think. Uh, Aaron actually might be a little harder to do. Aaron's a chameleon. Yeah, um, he can do so many different styles so well that you know the guy who writes scalped. Next to the guy who writes Wolverine and the X-Men, they're two different styles. Darwin, I mean, they're, they're definitely, it's, I think it's, it's harder to put into words uh, than, than maybe artists, and it's, it's harder to, to pinpoint, but they're, they're, it's, it's a feel. Um, I, don't know, I don't know. What do you think? I've been talking. I think you're right. I mean, I think it's difficult. I, I, I think it would be fun to do the challenge. I think I could probably pick out a bunch of these guys. <laughs> um, but then again, you know, like, like I said, Aaron would be hard to pick out because he does so many different styles. Uh, well, you could t- take a look at somebody who's like uh, like Greg, Rec- Greg Rucka, who's you know very high up there for all of us. Mm-hmm. I couldn't if you were to tell me what it is that that you know if you were asked me to tell you what the specific things are that he does that I like. I don't know if I could because it's it's actually just really well done and clear. He's not particularly funny or witty. He's not particularly overly expository you know he doesn't do those things like you know he didn't put garth ennis on here but i feel like i can i can tell garth ennis comics sometimes um this this is a way that he does it but like ruck is one that's it's hard to put your finger on what it is that he does that's great i think it's i think it's easier to pick out things like like themes if you if you were to identify you know themes set up and 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 certain story elements as opposed to stylistic choices those are harder to get across in this medium but fraction, I think, stylistically, is relatively easy to identify. Yeah, I think there. I think there's some. The 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 real thing would be uh, 
to have them if they if they knew they were doing you know a blind test or, or they were participating in a blind test have them write the have, same thing have them write the same thing or That's have the, or have them like try to disguise themselves um, i would no see that wouldn't be i think it'd be cool to give like like a bunch of people five pages pl- and they all have the same plot but they don't necessarily yeah. have the same characters yeah. so then you would look at what characters they come up with and how those characters talk and then how it's paced and I think you you could you could definitely get something out of it. The pacing actually is a big deal. Like how much they yeah. fill their pages. If you wanted to say, um, if you, you know, if you were looking for Warren Ellis, you're, you're three or four panel, panels a page. You know, if you're other guys, seven, eight, nine panels a page. Uh, you know, Alan Moore, you could you could spot that. <laughs> It'd be really interesting. Yeah, now I'm but kind it, of desperate for this to happen, but it's just it, it's I don't, never going to. It, it would never be able. To, yeah, we'd never be able to do it. But um, good email, Derek from Little Rock, Arkansas. Very fun. I uh, want to do one more. Sure. Uh, Rowan writes in and says, after reading an interview with Mark Wade, he hinted that the Hulk may be making an appearance in Daredevil with the thought of a Chris Somney drawn Hulk really exciting me. What artist take on a character have you, haven't you seen that you would like to? Uh, one of these was fulfilled recently with, uh, uh, what? I, I think I know what this is. With Gabriel Hardman doing Batman? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, right. that, that was the number one for me. See, I'm not as desperate to see that because I've seen him at conventions drop a million. I'm not Batman. saying I was like pining for it. I just no, said, no. I'm just saying. Cool, I'm saying know? if I had never seen that, I would be right. much more excited for it. Okay. I've seen, yeah. You know, Batman's his like go-to convention sketch. So, but I mean, to see him do like, well, I mean, that was just a, a bit of a showcase in that Legends of the Dark Knight thing. I mean, right. just to see more of a sequential thing would be. Well, so actually, yeah, and to see him do Gotham City, I mean, dude's kind of made for it. Yeah. Mm-hmm got to be uh, you know uh, this is already quite sort of been done it's almost the same kind of thing but uh you know chris omni doing superman i think is a a natural fit and we you know he's gonna be doing that a little yeah thing. i think there's a difference between the convention sketch which obviously we've seen uh Somney's, uh cover for this book and we've seen harpin do sketches for batman but doing the actual storytelling and the sequential work with the characters different so i think taking that's, us into gotham and metropolis yeah yeah so that's that's a good one i think um like someone like raphael grandpa doing something like um uh, profit would be cool. I don't. He he might have actually done like a cover or something, and I just missed it. But that's that seems like a pairing that, that would be kind of fun. Um, I'm actually really interested, as, and I've seen them before. But I'm interested to see Akuna do Avengers. I've seen, you know, I've seen him do uh, those characters, but I'm interested to see them do that dynamic. It's, there's a lot of. I'm trying to think. Most guys have drawn most of, most people. So I'm trying to yeah. think of guys I like, and they've they've most of them done everyone. Like a, like a James Stokoe, like a uh, fourth world kind of book. Um, see, now I'm, just, now I'm just naming my favorite artists. And yeah, I know. That's kind of what you start to do because really it's, it's to me, I actually break it down into you want to see this person do superhero stuff. And I feel like I've seen that a lot of times. So it's a yeah, little, little yeah, different yeah. for me to break it up. I feel like we've been really lucky. We've seen all those great guys, great guys do like Rocketeer stories. Uh, right. You know, I, I just put Darwin Cook on anything. Okay, well, like, you, you know, you guys, we all love Star Wars. Who, what artist would you like to see on a Star Wars book that you can't imagine would ever happen, but it would be cool? The thing is, I know I never wanted a Star Wars book until I had one thrust in front of me. So I find this that... This is not how you play the game, Josh. I'm bad at this game. All right. I, I freely admit that. You don't ask Josh about casting or right, fantasy yeah, I know. stuff. I know. It's not how it's done. You can email us at contact at ifanboy.com or call us on 888-FANBOYS-226-2697. Uh, tell us who you are and where you're from, and if you're calling voicemail line, keep it short and good, and we'll get on the show. I can evaluate those casting and decisions, but I can't right. come up. You're with an it. executive. You're not a creative. No, that. Oh, that's, <laughs> oh. 
That's just terrible. Uh, We have other podcasts you may or may not know about. Uh, We have the Make Comics podcast, which comes out um, on uh, really alternate Mondays, if we're being honest about it, Um, where I speak with Andy Schmidt, uh, the founder of Comics Experience, former editor for Marvel and IDW, about some issue, something that's going on uh, in making comics in the process. And we found very good feedback from that. People seem to like it. Um, Paul, you recently exploded the book. We did uh, we did Planet Hulk um, on a on a book explode where we talk about like a like a collection or or an original graphic novel that kind of thing. Uh, should I mention what the next one is? Yeah, sure. Okay, it's uh it's the it's the uh, the Dark Knight Strikes Again or Strikes Back. What is it? What the hell is it called? The Dark Knight Strikes Again. Yeah, the I bad one. Up. The bad one. Well, that's what we're gonna find out. We're, I'm yeah, re- I'm reading it again. I have never read it to be honest. So I will, I will that'll be a re- that'll be really interesting. But then again, you didn't really like the Dark Knight Returns. <gasps> Ooh. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's a good time to mention that uh, with these increased book explodes, there won't be any Starman book explodes. It was brought up again on the website this week. We're just, I don't think this is going to happen. It's going to be hard to pick up. I wouldn't say never, but it's pretty much. I'm not going to say never, but probably not. Most likely not going to happen. Someone suggested we do the Walt Simonson Thor omnibus, which I would That's love also to do. Not happen. But yeah, it's, 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 it's a thousand pages. It's a breezy beach read. Yeah. Let's do Hellblazer 1 through 300. <laughs> This week, all in terms, speaking of podcasts not happening or maybe not happening, this week, uh, GI Joe Retaliation hit theaters, and uh, we want to do a show on it. I just don't. We're definitely not going to do it for this weekend. Clearly, I don't know for when it's going to happen, but I'm traveling. Things, you know, bad timing. So if if it hap- if it happens, we might just do it for ourselves. If he feels like time- it, we'll do it. Damn the timeliness! Is what I'm saying. Check out ifanboy.com for Paul's Pick of the Week review, and soon there'll be a new Book of the Month review for you to read. You can also get all the important news and discussion topics going on, our weekly features by our great writers. You can find out who those writers are at ifanboy.com slash about. See the staff page, and you can follow us on social networks by going to our links that are also on that page. You can also follow the action at ifanboy at twitter.com slash ifanboy and at facebook.com slash ifanboy. And you can email us at contact at ifanboy.com. Let us know what book explodes you'd like to see. That would be good. Or leave a voicemail at one eight 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 fanboys That's 326-2697. With any questions, comments, concerns, discussion topics, etc. If you dig us, uh, write a review in iTunes or uh, even better yet, uh, you can uh, tell people about the show when whatever way you find. If you like the, the show or the site or any articles, make sure you share stuff on your social networks and, uh, and, and pass things around because uh, we really that's a, that's a big deal for us in terms of uh, our marketing efforts because that's, that's your department, everyone listening. That's what you guys do. <laughs> that's what we pay you for. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So, uh, and everybody who has done that in the past, thank you very much. We we really appreciate it. it means the world. And uh, that's all. That's all. You're not going to get me with those words there. Spray painted on the side of a government building. That's again. Oh, no. Every every week you. I want to. I'm trying. Yeah. I'm well, trying to work think. on that. Well, all we right. need to schedule a talk with you and our lawyers. Yeah. About culpability and. Uh... Yeah. We we do not have. Our money is tied up in faulty real estate deals. <laughs> we can't be. We have. We can't afford this. We have no. Spell it out in fire in a public park. Yeah. So that is all for this week's show. Thank you much. That was a lot of comics. There was a lot of pretty good comics. Yeah. It was. I think it was a tough week to choose a pick of the week. That's what I think. Uh. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I'm Connor. I'm Paul. Josh. Right. Okay. Got it. Josh. Sorry. Whew. Hello.